Hi, my name is Michael Davidson, and here's what's going on at Abundant Life. Get ready for the Global Leadership Summit, which takes place on Thursday, August 9th, and Friday, August 10th, right here at ALCF via satellite. This year's theme is Everyone Has Influence, which ties nicely to ALCF's goal of equipping you to positively influence others in your community and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And any place is the right place, whether it's at home, on the job, at school, or at church. You have a great opportunity to share your personal testimony, influence others, and help lead them towards a new walk with the Lord. This year's event includes 12 summit faculty from the private, religious, business, and nonprofit sectors. Make plans to join ALCF family along with over 400,000 Christians from more than 135 countries and experience a unique blend of vision, inspiration, and practical skills that you can apply immediately. To sign up, go to alcf.net slash GLS18 and use a special priority code rate for Covenant Partners located in the printed copy of your current newsletter. As we look forward, ALCF has a goal for sending out every Covenant Partner on a missions trip by the end of 2020. So if you're looking to really extend your sphere of influence, join Glenn Poston and Rich Young this summer as they partner with established ministries in both Mexico and Zambia to advance the great work that the Lord is already doing in those areas. For more information about these two unique and life-changing opportunities, go to aocf.net slash global missions. And speaking of unique opportunities, you don't have to wait till Sunday to connect with the AOCF community. Worship night is a midweek gathering to worship the Lord through song, prayer, and a message from Pastor Brian. Please join us for our next worship night on Wednesday, June 6th from 6.15 to 8 p.m. We'll meet up in the fellowship hall for an abbreviated great family gathering, followed by worship which begins promptly at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. Remember, please bring a dessert or a beverage to share with the ALCF family. And if you're not already part of the ALCF family, we'd love for you to join us at our events. But if you're looking for a church home and want to know more about our history, mission, and core values, sign up for our next Exploring Covenant Partnership event on Sunday, June 10th from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. in the chapel. You can register at alcf.net slash signups or through the ALCF app. Okay, get ready for Shipwrecked, a fun and exciting week of adventure for our 3 through 11-year-olds. Your kids will journey to an uncharted island where they'll learn how they can anchor to the truths that bring them through life's many storms. Our voyage sets sail on the week of June 11th through the 15th here at AOCF from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. each day. To donate, serve, or register, go to alcf.net slash signups or visit the contributor station after service. Now, if you're like many of our Sunday worshipers, you're probably ready for lunch by the time church ends on Sundays. But on June 24th, we've got you covered. After service, take just a few short steps out into the main parking lot and join us for our seasonal food truck fellowship from 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. We'll have live jazz music by Chocolate Rice and food available for purchase from a select group of food trucks offering a variety of delicious food. Come hang out with the entire ALCF community and this fun family event. And finally, make plans to join us during our Hour of Power on Friday, June 29th from 7.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. in the chapel. It promises to be an impactful hour of worship and praising God as we come together to pray for our families, our body of believers, and for our country. Now, these are just some of the upcoming ALCF events and activities. But to stay connected to everything that is ALCF, check out our website, app, bi-weekly emails, newsletter, and social media. And remember, at ALCF, our goal is to make a difference in your life 
so that you can make a difference in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Or, as we like to say around here, abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world. Good morning, Abundant Life. Can we stand on? Thank you, Arshel. So good to, to be here. Warriors game tonight. Um, we'll be praying for that as well. Um, I'm a Knicks fan, and you know God is a Knicks fan. I want to let you know. I got a Bible verse for you. Uh, the Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted. And so um, that's all we know in New York, just brokenheartedness. And so God is a Knicks fan. Amen. But uh, I became a Warriors fan just when you guys won the championship. I said, that, this is my West Coast team. This is my, my West Coast team. This is our, our, my, our second time in California, our first time in the Bay Area. And uh, it's really a joy to be here. I, I'm so grateful for the ministry of your pastor, Brian Loritz. Uh, Brian and I have gotten to know each other. Amen. We've gotten to know each other over the past few years and his leadership and and preaching gifts uh, have blessed me uh, immensely, and God has uh, blessed you with him as your pastor. And as I got to speak to some of you yesterday at the seminar, uh, I know that Brian and Corey as well are, are blessed to have you as their church family, just some wonderful people that I connected with yesterday. Uh, my wife Rosie and I, um, we did the tourist thing yesterday, uh, and so we went to the the Golden Gate Bridge, what a beautiful city uh, you guys have, uh, just the Bay Area there. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that in my 39 years, my entire life living in New York City, uh, I haven't seen the Statue of Liberty up close. Um, I haven't been to the observation deck at the Empire State Building, but I've seen the Golden Gate Bridge, all right? And so um, don't tell my New York people that, but uh, I, I, here I am. And so... I have the joy of pastoring New Life Fellowship Church in Queens. Uh, we're a church that's uh, 30 years old. I became the lead pastor five years ago. And um, we are a church. Yeah, it's been wonderful. We're a church. One of the reasons I've just enjoyed my time this morning and yesterday is to see your diversity. Our church is in the heart of Queens. We have over 75 nations represented in our church. We're in what National Geographic called the most diverse zip code in the world. And so uh, it's a beautiful and very complex thing. Uh, you go to the local Chase Bank to take out $20. You had about 25 options before you and so to take out $20. And so it's very complicated. And yet it's a beautiful thing as well. And one of the things we experience is we get to see the beauty of the kingdom of God, but also the tensions that exist when you get multiple people and different kinds of people in a room together. And so wherever there is conflict out in the world, we experience it in our church. We, in our church, we have police officers and Black Lives Matter protesters. In our church, we have, whenever there's Jewish and Arab tensions, we experience that in our church. We have folks all over the political spectrum where we have Barack Obama, Democrats, and Donald Trump, Republicans in our church, all in our church. You thought your small group was bad. You thought your little Bible study was a little challenging. We got that all mixed up in our church. And so when we talk about being church, when we talk about life together, when we talk about abiding together, it's not an easy thing, and yet Jesus has some words for us about what does it mean to root our lives in God so that we could root our lives with each other. And that's what I want to look at today, John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can take that out, or your uh, cell phone, or your iPhone, whatever you have there. We're going to be in uh, John 15, verses 5 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch which is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is my, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be... My disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I want you to hold on to that. As the Father loves Jesus, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Just take a moment to reflect on that this week. As the Father loves Jesus, Jesus says, that's how much I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as 
I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, I ask that you would give revelation to our hearts and our minds this morning. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to receive every gift you have for us this day. And may the name of Jesus be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. I want to talk to you about the abiding life. The abiding life. In her book, uh, This Unity in Christ, Dr. Christina Cleveland highlights a a humorous and very real anecdote by a man named Emo Phillips, who was a comedian. Emo Phillips wrote a joke about divisions among Christians. And GQ magazine called this joke the 44th funniest joke of all time. And this is what he says. He says, I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. And so I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He asked. Well, there's there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious? He said, yes. I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? Christian, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? (laughs) Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Oh, me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed them off the ladder. Now, this story captures the divisiveness that exists in our culture, especially our church culture, that we divide over any little detail. And if that's how we divide over the small stuff, imagine how we divide over the big stuff. And actually, we don't even even have to imagine it because it is our reality. We live in an extremely politically polarized society. The racial tensions in our country remain walls of hostility between groups of people. And yet the church is to be the place that best demonstrates the love of God towards each other. A few things bring heartache to parents like to see their children not getting along. And whether it's small children or whether it's grown adults, and the same applies to God. Few things breaks God's heart more than his children not getting along. And so one of the greatest gifts we give the Father in heaven is our love for one another. And Jesus gives us some strong words about the way we are to live our lives together. I mean, pick up in our text in John 15, Jesus is giving some final words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And what we find here in Jesus' words is essentially Jesus narrowing down his teaching and dreams for his disciples. Jesus has been with them for three years. He wants, hey, he has dreams for them. He has hopes for them. He's taught them about the kingdom of God. He's taught them about the power of God. He's shown them the, the heart of the Father. And now that Jesus is about to leave them, he gets very simple and very clear about how they are to live as his followers. And if you can narrow down all of Jesus' words into one word, that word would be abide. The word is abide. Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples to abide in him. You can't live the Christian life until you learn how to abide. You can't experience what God has for us as sons and daughters until you learn how to abide. 
We can't learn how to do life together and negotiate our differences unless we learn how to abide. We can't do anything unless we learn how to abide. Jesus would say earlier on, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this word abide in the Greek language is the word meno. And this word is critical to understanding the gospel of John. And it's a word that shows up not five times, not 10 times, not 15 times, not 20 times in the gospel of John. It comes up 63 times in the gospel of John. And if a word comes up over and over again, we better pay attention to it. The word meno means to dwell, to abide, to remain, to stay, to continue to be present, to continue in relationship, to tolerate or to endure, to wait, to accept, to suffer for, to submit to, to act in accord with, to be faithful to. Let me ask you, do these words describe your relationship with God? To remain with, to abide with, to stay with. And this is, this is the word that Jesus wants us to hold on to, abide, to meno. Now, there's a helpful image that will help us grasp this invitation to abide. A few times a week, I, I make myself a cup of tea. And as many of you tea drinkers know, there are really two ways of drinking tea. Some people are dippers. They got their mug and they got the tea bag and they, 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 they dip it in and they dip it out. And they dip it in and they dip it out. Just by a show of hands, any dippers in the house? I mean, no, no judgment here, no judgment. Any dippers in the house? Okay. You, you, you dip in and, 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 when, the, and when the water is permeated, when the tea permeates the water to your liking, you, you, you take it out and, and you wrap it around a spoon if you want to get sophisticated. And, and you just press it down a little bit more and you take it off the spoon and you drop it off and you sip your tea. That's one way of, of, of drinking tea, your dippers. But there's another way of, of, of drinking tea and that is to be a, a dweller. Where you take the tea bag, the tea bag and, and you just drop it in there and you just let it be. You, you, just, you just let it dwell. You just let it sit. You just let it remain. The reality is, no judgment on the dippers, but Christianity is often about a spirituality of dipping in and dipping out. We're here and then we're not. We're in the word and we're out of the word. We're in worship and we're out of worship. And, and, it's, and you can't live a life following Jesus being a dipper. But we are invited to be a dweller. Listen, when, when you're dipping, that's a lot of work. Transformation comes by your effort. Transformation comes by your, your, your willpower. But when you're a dweller, when you just sit there, the tea takes a life on its own with or without you. And Jesus is saying, if you learn how to dwell in me, I will change the very composition of your life. Remain in me and I will transform your very existence. I was talking to one person and the person said, the reason I don't like to be a dipper is because the tea gets too strong. And I thought, that not that the case there with God? That if you dwell a little bit, the presence of the Lord will begin to point out areas that need transformation. Areas that need healing. Areas that need forgiveness. Areas that need to be dwelt with. Jesus says, we are to meno. We are to abide. Our lives are about abiding. This is why scripture is so important to be in scripture. To immerse ourselves in the word. To immerse ourselves in prayer. To immerse ourselves in community. And so Jesus says, we are to abide, but I want you to notice something in the progression of this passage. We don't just abide to enjoy our time with God. Our abiding is to lead to relationships that are characterized by this love. And so Jesus says, remain in me. He comes over and over again. When you read John 15 for yourself, you see how many times he says, remain in me, abide in me. But now he says, love each other as I have loved you. And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. It makes sense now why Jesus says, you better abide in me. Because you cannot give what you have not received. And unless you can abide in me, you have nothing to offer the world around you. And so we are to perpetually be receiving the love of God 
to offer the love of God. Now, when you look at the Gospels, when Jesus is talking to these disciples, you begin to see how impossible these words are from a human standpoint. Because Jesus commands his disciples to love one another. And here's the question. Have you seen these disciples? Have you taken the time to examine these disciples? Because it's one thing if Jesus gathered his disciples based on shared interests, based on shared values, based on similar personality types. And then he said, okay, love each other. That'd be easy to love from somebody like that. A similar personality type. Are you a Warriors fan? I'm a Warriors. Let's, let's, we love each other. Let's just say, we, 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 this is easy. This is easy. This is easy. Who did you vote for? Well, me too. I voted for, let's, this is easy. This is, this is very easy to hang out with people that you like. But when Jesus gathers his small group together, he gathers people who are totally different from each other. He calls people from different backgrounds and he invites them to live in community together. And I love that in the Gospel of Mark, Mark goes into detail to list these disciples. And if you scroll through the names, you realize that this is a strange group that Jesus has assembled. In particular, there are two guys that are listed that have no business being together. There's a guy named Matthew and a guy named Simon. And this is crazy because no one would have put these guys together. And let me explain it to you this way. Matthew is a tax collector. Simon is a revolutionary. He's a zealot. And talk about an, an odd couple. Let me explain it this way. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. Matthew collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. Matthew lived to make his money by overcharging people like Simon. Simon lived to kill people like Matthew. And Jesus knows this together and says, all right, hey, you two, you're in my group. You two, you're, you're together now. Imagine uh, Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow just together. Just, you're together. We're, we're one group. We're together now. We're going to do this together. We're going to follow me together. Jesus calls people who have no business being together and says, you're mine now. And now you're gathering over one unified point, which is me. And so we can put our differences aside. Why? Because we are gathering around one organizing point, one organizing person. That is the person of Jesus. And so this is no accident. Jesus is intentional. And he's saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to have a heart for people who don't look like you and don't think like you and don't vote like you and don't act like you. And if you're going to be my disciples, you have to do it in relationship with others. And so what Jesus is basically saying is this. A good measure of our discipleship is not how much Bible I have in my head, but the state of my heart towards people different from me whether it's politically or racially or economically. And Jesus says our abiding in Christ is to shape how we attach our lives to others. And so Jesus commands us love one another. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't command us to tolerate one another. Our society has placed a high value on tolerance. But think about the word for a second. How many of us feel good being tolerated? Because to tolerate is basically just you're putting up with someone. Imagine you look at your husband and your wife and you say, Babe, come here. I just, I want to tell you something. I tolerate you. <laughs> you have a little son, little daughter. You say, Babe, come, come, come here. I, mean, I just want to look at you in your eye. Come here, come here. I want to tell you from the deepest part of my heart, I tolerate you. It's like, uh, uh, thank you, I, I think. Uh, uh, but note, Jesus doesn't say tolerate one another. That there's a higher standard in the kingdom of God. That you can tolerate people without God's empowerment. But it's impossible to love people. As Jesus commands us without God's power. And so Jesus says, the only way you can do this is by abiding in my love. And as we abide in Jesus, we learn how to abide with each other. We learn how to attach our lives to 
each other. And so what does it mean for us to live this out in our lives, to live this out in this local church, to live this out in the church around the world? What does it mean to abide well? And there are a few things that are more important than abiding, presence with one another. And I want to highlight just four areas in particular that we need to cultivate because we're in a society that does not know how to abide well with one another. We, we live in a society that we don't have, know how to be present to one another. And so how do we abide with one another? How do we offer presence towards one another? I, I want to just focus on four areas that we need to cultivate individually and as a local body of believers. Jesus says, abide in my love and remain with each other. And if we're going to do this, we have to learn how to abide amidst the culture of disconnection. Abiding amidst the culture of disconnection. Henry Nouwen, some years ago, urgently named the danger of loneliness that we all experience. But what is increasingly becoming a reality is the loneliness we feel in an overly stimulated technological world. That in an overly connected technological world, people are more lonely than ever. Earlier this year, the New York Times came out with an article about the UK in which they appointed a minister for loneliness. A minister for loneliness. The former Surgeon General of the US wrote an article for Harvard Business Review last year arguing that loneliness is one of the greatest threats to our society. And he said, loneliness can be associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. And one expert in the UK mentioned that loneliness is worse for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We know this biblically. In the beginning of the Bible, it says it is not good for man to be alone. And when he's talking about that, he's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about human connection. And so what does it mean to abide with one another? It means that we create spaces in our communities and space in our lives where people are not lonely, where people can journey with one another. I imagine in a room this filled here, there's a bunch of you that feel lonely. And this is not relegated to just people who are single. You can be married and deeply lonely. You can have people all around you and be deeply lonely. And yet discipleship invites us and the church invites us to reimagine community so much so that we don't have people among us who are lonely, isolated. That you can be alone, that solitude and loneliness are two different things. That you can enjoy solitude and the rich fruit of that and yet reject the way of loneliness. And so as a community, we are invited, number one, to abide, to create community, to create family amidst the culture of disconnection amidst the culture of loneliness. The second invitation for us to abide, what does it mean to abide? Because we have tons of obstacles coming our way to learn how how to abide together. Tons of things coming against us. And the second thing I want to offer is that we have to learn how to abide amidst distraction. And so it's not just abiding amidst disconnection, it's, 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 it's abiding amidst a culture of distraction. We live what sociologists call, uh, we live in a state of continuous, a continuous state of partial inattention. A continuous state of partial inattention. And I believe our culture, like never before, is a culture of distraction. And it's, the main issue is our relationship to technology. Now, I realize that not everyone in this room has the same relationship to technology. And so, so for some of you who have a healthy boundaries and such, and that, that, that's, that's, that's wonderful. But for the rest of us, this is an issue. Because we live in a world where there's lots of distraction. There's a fantastic book by a guy named Neil Postman. He wrote, he wrote in the 90s. It's a book called Technopoly. And the book is prophetic because he saw where technology was taking us. And this is how he describes the relationship we have with technology. Postman says that far too often technology moves from a tool to an intruder. Technology, it moves from a tool to an intruder. And instead of technology being something that we use, somehow we end up being used by it. And as a a result, we're cut off from each other, not learning how to truly abide with one 
another. Dr. King said, we have allowed our technology to outrun our theology. That we're not so good at weighing the price of technological progress. A man named Arthur Bohr says it this way. He says, we're all good at naming the convenience technology provides. We're not so good at recognizing its inconveniences, displacements, losses, and intrusions. We have to love technology enough to describe it accurately. And we have to love ourselves enough to confront technology's true effects on us. And the effects are massive. The the greatest effect being we are disconnected from each other. Not learning how to abide with one another. Now we've all heard of the terrible tragedies of texting while driving. But there's another danger, especially in the New York City area, of texting while walking. And on many intersections in New York City, you'll, you'll, you'll see these pavements, these markers on the pavement on the ground. Put that on the screen there, just right, on the, on the, right in the street there, in the center of it, a, 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 a sign that says, look. This is good New York City uh, uh, image here. Look, why? Because people are crossing 5th Avenue and Madison Avenue and Park Avenue and 6th Avenue texting. And so they've had to put signs on the streets. Look up. Look up. We live in a culture that is increasingly disconnected. We are a distracted people. There's a woman named Cheryl Turkle, a professor at MIT, And she's been studying people's relationships to technology for 30 years. And in her book, Reclaiming Conversation, she notes the impact of technology on relationships with our families, with our friends, in dating, in teaching, in education, in the workplace. And she notes that we now live in the first generation of children who grew up on smartphones. And as a result, children have a hard time with eye-to-eye contact having conversations. Children, uh, and, and this generation resolves conflict through text messaging. Instead of sitting down eye to eye, knee to knee, and resolving our differences together. And the problem is not just with kids. Parents text and do email at breakfast and at dinner, and their children complain about not having their parents' full attention. My son Nathan, who's three years old, I've been... I've received the conviction of the Holy Spirit many times when he says, Daddy, Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Put your phone down. Look at me. And I felt over and over again the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying we have not learned how to live in a culture of abiding because we are in a culture of distraction. And so to abide means that we need to learn how to to be a disciple of Jesus amidst technological advancements. Learning to abide with one another. How can we abide with one another if we don't see one another? If we don't hear one another? If we're not in close proximity to each other? The third area that I, I believe Jesus would have us to cultivate a sense of abiding presence is abiding amidst disagreements. The church has had disagreements from the very beginning of the church. But we're at a point in history because of social media that the tensions and hostility we experience are very dangerous. And yet we are invited to be present to one another amidst our disagreements. And this is hard. When you consider matters of politics and race and sexuality, these are explosive issues. And so what does it mean to truly be present to another in the midst of disagreements? Minimally, to abide means that we learn how to listen well. It was Douglas Steer who said that to listen to another soul may be almost the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. And instead of listening deeply to one another, we're so triggered by one another and so offended by one another. And the offense that we take is is so rapid and so shallow and so superficial 
And one way to mark this is, I, I like to say, your, your, your level of offendability often reveals the level of your maturity. <laughs> and we are so easily triggered and offended by each other. And what begins to happen if you're easily triggered and offended by one another, you, you, you cut them off. We're not abiding any longer. We're scapegoating now. We're blaming now. And Jesus invites us, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus remains close to us and invites us to be close to him as well. The fourth thing is, Jesus invites us to have presence amidst difficulty. So it's not just presence amidst disconnection and presence among distraction and presence among disagreements. It's, it's how do we cultivate a sense of abiding amidst the difficulty we experience? How do we stay close to people in their grief? Stay close to people in their sadness? Stay close to people in their anger? How do we cultivate a spirituality that laments with each other? Grieves with one another? A spirituality that says, I see you. I see your pain. I see your anxiety. I see your shame. I see your anger. I see you. And I'm not here to fix you. I I just see you. I'm present to you. I'm willing to to be in this space here amidst the difficulty that you are experiencing. A presence, an abiding amidst difficulty. And sometimes all it takes is a little bit of presence, a little bit of I see you, a little bit of listening. When someone is going through difficulty, that makes all the difference in the world. Let me explain this using a marriage example I used yesterday at the seminar. I've been married now for 12 years. Rosie and I have been married for 12 years. And uh, when we were in our premarital course, uh, and we were with a whole bunch of other couples that were in love, looking at each other, the person got up and said these words. The person said, it's going to take you about 10 years to learn how to be married. I said, this is awful. Just to get you started, it's going to take you 10 years to learn how to be married. And I looked at my wife. I said, babe, we'll do this in two. Give it the fist bump. We'll do this in two. We're at year number 12. It's taking us about 12, babe, with 12 years. We're just getting started, right? We're just learning right now. And most of the tension that comes in our relationship happens when there's conflict, especially when my wife is experiencing anger or sadness or so. And so when I, whenever she experiences anger or sadness, I typically go into four modes of responding. For those of you who are, who are single, take good notes at this point. I want to tell you what doesn't work, all right? I want to tell you what doesn't work. My first mode that I go into whenever my wife is experiencing anger, whenever she's experiencing sadness, is I go into fix-it mode, computer mode. I say, babe, listen, here are three options for you. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. What do you think? Let's, let's decide A, B, or C. It doesn't work. This doesn't work. This, this, this. That's the, so his first mode is computer mode. The second mode is, is kind of minimizing mode. Babe, is it that bad? Ah, oh, is it that bad? I, guess I got a witness right here. Is it that bad? You know? I said, you know, I just, you know, you just, let me give you a Bible verse. Is it that bad, you know? That's the second mode. Doesn't work. Take good notes here. The third mode is superimposing mode. I wouldn't be angry about that. I, I wouldn't be sad about that. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness in this space here. You know, I, wouldn't be, I, I, I wouldn't be angry about that. The fourth mode is get out of their mode. I just got to leave. I just got to. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. And so I go see a therapist in this order, okay, in this order here. And therapy is part of my own spiritual formation plan. I see a therapist once a month. It's part of good spirituality to grow in self-awareness. And so I go to see a therapist, and and I say, you know, whenever my wife is having uh, anger or sadness, I just don't know how to respond well. I just don't know how to do it. And he said, Richard, it's actually very simple. I want you to do one thing the next time your wife is sad, the next time your wife is angry. The only thing is, she can't be sad at you or angry at you. That doesn't work. Whatever you do, if she's angry at you, there's nothing you can do at this point here. But, but if, she's angry at you, if she's angry or sad, here's a way I want you to go. I said, I'm listening, Doc. Go ahead, go ahead. I took out the notepad. I got my pen out. He says, whenever she is sad, I want you to be sad with her. 
I said, what else you got? Come on, I'm listening. <laughs> Whenever she is angry, I want you to be angry with her. Okay, all right. What, what else he said? That's it. No, 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 no. There's got to be something more. There's got to be. What, what else you got? No, that, that's, that's all. Whenever time she's angry, be angry with her. The next time she's sad, be sad with her. Abide with her. Presence with her. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to test, test his hypothesis. I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see if this works out. I'll, I'll report back to you a few days later or so. My wife is angry about something. It wasn't something massive, but she was angry about something. It didn't have to do with me, so I was happy. It was, it was something about out there. She was angry about something. And so I thought, here's my moment. Here's my moment. My, 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 my default is to go into computer mode, A, B, C. My default is to go into minimizing mode. My default is to go into superimposing mode. My default is to get out of their mode. But, but I said, no, no, no. He, he said, if she's angry, be angry with her. And it wasn't even an, a big issue she was angry about. And I thought, here's my moment. Here's my time. Here's my time to mennow with her, to uh, abide with her, to be present with her. And, and in a very kind of disproportionate kind of a way. It wasn't even a massive issue. But she's talking about she's angry about it. And I kind of disproportionately... Just, you know, just interrupt, you know. And, 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 and she said, what? <laughs> How could she say that? And my wife was going, baby, calm down. You just hit about a water, babe. Just uh, have some water. Calm down. No, no, no. I'm not going to calm down here. I'm taking good. The doctor gave me good notes. Now, How dare she say something like that? I'm from Brooklyn. We'll drive over right now. And you know, you, you know what my wife felt at that moment? Love. Seen. Heard. Being present to one another. Abiding with one another. Remaining with one another. Dwelling with one another. Jesus says, if you're going to learn how to love, you have to learn how to be present. How to abide, how to remain, how to mennow with one another. And what we see throughout this is this is the story of God's life towards us. That God is the one who consistently remains with us. That God is the one who consistently pursues us. That God in Jesus Christ is the one who consistently dwells with us. So much so that the God of the universe becomes a human being. He becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood to dwell with us, to be with us, to remain with us, to mennow with us. God loved you so much, he couldn't be without you. He became a human being to dwell with you, to mennow with you. This is the love of God. And when you mess up in sin, he's still there with you. And when you're walking in shame, his grace is sufficient. And when you're struggling with addiction, the Holy Spirit is still present with you. This is a God who remains, who dwells, who abides. And what I love about this story and love about this text, it, it reveals a God who remains with us and comes to us and abides with us and pursues us. And this is the story of my life and the story of your life. Whenever I speak at a church for the first time, I usually give a little bit of my own story. I want to finish close with this here. Because my story is a life of God abiding and pursuing me and choosing to dwell with me and pour out his loving kindness towards me. And I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. I didn't grow up in a home that was Christian. I actually grew up in a home that was actually indifferent to Christianity. My mother and father, uh, my mother was a, a moralist, basically meant that she didn't do many bad things, so she didn't need church. My father was a weekend alcoholic growing up, and so often he didn't think that uh, he could go into church because of his issues. And so from time to time, my parents, they would never go to church, but they would send me to church with my grandparents, and at first, I thought that they were really interested in my spiritual development. Uh, it turns out that um, you get good child care when you go to Latino Pentecostal services. And so um, <clears throat> they got five-hour services at that church there. You get a lot done in five hours. Got laundry done, grocery shopping done, all that. 
while the kids are at church. And so my parents would go, go to that church. No, no, not that church. Not the Catholic church, our service, our mass. Go to the Pentecostal church. Five hours. I need a five-hour break from you. Go with your grandma and grandpa. I got some errands to run. And so we go to this church in this small, small church in East New York section of Brooklyn. And I would go not really understanding much was had. My family's from Puerto Rico. I grew up in New York, and so speaking Spanish was always a a challenge for me growing up. And so I'd go to the Spanish-speaking congregation, thinking that Jesus was Puerto Rican. And so (laughs) to this day, he's a Puerto Rican Jew. I just know it. I just know it. I just know it. They say, bienvenidos. They say, Jesus. They say, todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. I just, all, they knew all the, had all the verses there. I said, he must be a Spanish-speaking Jew here. And so I go to this church, not really understanding much. And when I would go to this church, uh, the only time that my parents would come would be during uh, Christmas or Easter services. And I always played the lame man or the blind man that Jesus healed at these Christmas and Easter services. And my mother would come, and I'd be blind, and Jesus would heal me as a five-year-old, and my mom's eyes can see, and, and my mother's crying, and the sigh, oh, my son's such a good actor, and all that there. They came to the Easter and Christmas services. Whenever I was lame, I would get up and walk in the service. It was beautiful. And so by the time I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, about 12 years old or so, I stopped going to church. I asked my parents, I'm not really getting much out of this. Can I stop going to church? They said, sure, you can stop going to church. It was like I was saved at that moment, saved from the church. This is fantastic. I don't have to go to church any longer. But I found myself back in the church about five years later. And the reason I found myself back in the church as a 70-year-old was because I started dating a pastor's daughter. And that will get you back in the church very quickly. <laughs> the pastor said, the only way you can date my daughter is if you come to church. I said, I'm there. I'll, I'll be there. He didn't say what time I had to come. And so I would come towards the end of the service in a place where I, it was hard for him, for him to see when I walked in. I come the last 10, 15 minutes of the service, kind of at this point of the service. And I walk in, and then at the end, he said, Rich, so good to see you. Did you enjoy the service? Absolutely. It was fantastic. What was it about? And I learned at a moment as a 17-year-old, if you just say Jesus for everything, uh, you know, you're right. What was it about Jesus? Of course. The sermon was about Jesus. The next week, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I, I, got, I got real Trinitarian very quickly. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It was fantastic. After a couple of years of going to this church, the relationship ended. And there's nothing that brings you, people to Jesus like teenage heartbreak. And so as an 18, 19-year-old or so, I'm walking from Queens to Brooklyn, a good hour and a half walk. And I, when I get home after a long journey of heartbroken, just pain, I walk into my parents' house. I'm the oldest of five, and my parents were home. My father's coming off of a hangover. My mother's in the kitchen cooking. And I look, I say, where's Jason? Where's Laura? Where's Michelle? Where's Melissa? My siblings. They said, oh, there's this church around the corner, the church that I would be at the Christmas and Easter plays at. It's right around the corner. And so my heart was so bruised. I said, you know what? Let me go to that church. Maybe God will do something in me. So I walked two blocks. And I went into this small Latino Pentecostal church called Arca de Salvación, Arca of Salvation. And when I walked in, they're singing songs in Spanish. And when I walk in, they're, they're singing about Satan. Just Latinos love to sing about Satan. It's just always, we sing more about Satan than Jesus. It's just like, you know, just... And I, I walked in, and, and I said, I hope they're not talking about me. I just walked in. You know, I just said, you, you know, my life wasn't right with God. I just said, is this safe for me to be here? You know, just said, I, I could leave, you know. And so I sit in the back. They're singing. And about 10 minutes after I walk in, my father walks in with my mother. And this was rare because they never went to church. What was also striking about it is the way my father walked in. My father walked in with sneakers and no socks and pajama pants and a tank top and a Mets jacket and a Mets hat. And I said, is this man still drunk coming into church like this here? I mean, what in the world is going on? It turns out, I said, Dad, why did you come to church like this? And why did you come generally? And he said, the strangest thing happened when you walked out of the house. I don't know if it was an audible voice or an inaudible voice, but I heard two words and the two words were, follow him. And he said, I don't know if that meant follow Jesus or follow Rich. He's going to see Jesus at the church there. But I just got up as fast as I could and I followed you. He walks into the church and this preacher gets up. He starts preaching from Ezekiel 37 about a valley of dry bones. 
And this preacher starts saying that it's, it's a story, for those of you who might not be familiar with it, of, of an army. It was Israel who was once an army, but now they're in exile. Now they're in rebellion. And this massive army are now in a valley. And this army has become a valley of dry bones, desolate, dry, lifeless. And the preacher got up and said, some of your lives are like these bones, dry and lifeless. And death is permeating your life. And yet God wants to breathe life into you. This is God's word for us today as well. God wants to breathe life into you. And so Isaiah, God tells Ezekiel the prophet, prophesy to the bones that they would jump and, and come alive. And he begins to prophesy. And he said, if you want this life that only God can give, I want you to come forward. And one by one, Esther, this altar call was made and this powerful message was preached. One by one, family members began to respond. And my brother responded. And my sister responded. And my other sister responded, and my other sister responded, and my mother responded, and my father responded, and a cousin responded, another cousin responded, and an uncle responded, and an aunt responded, another uncle responded, another aunt responded, another cousin responded, another cousin responded, another aunt responded, another uncle responded. All of us in this small Latino Pentecostal church in Brooklyn, New York, no more than 80 people there, 15 family members came to Christ in one evening. Coming to him. The presence of God was so powerful. If my dog was there, my dog would have said, can I receive some prayers as well? And I had a bad chihuahua named Milo. He needed Jesus. I would have said, come up here, Milo. Let's pray for you as well. In the name of Jesus, we cast out this spirit. We would have done all of it there. We were weeping at the altar. Very awkward thing. We never cried like that in front of each other. We got home. No one's making eye contact at all. Very awkward here. And yet Jesus Christ transformed us and, and taught us how to abide. And I learned more and more that when I'm with Jesus, I can receive his love. There's no need to be afraid any longer. I can receive his love. There's nothing to fear anymore. I've received his love. I can receive his love and now enter into community with others. That there's a power that God has given me now, not just for my life with God, but my life with each other, to learn how to abide, to learn how to mentor. And there are fears all around us that would keep us from abiding with each other. Anxieties that we have and yet we serve a God who can give us the power and the authority to remove any fear that comes from my life. This is why I love what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies, round about me. Therefore shall I offer praises in his tabernacle of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Let's put our hands together. Let's worship him. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. You are the Prince of Peace, the light in our salvation. The God who draws us together, the God who binds us together, the God who unites us, the God who revives us, the God who resurrects us. Amen. 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 Remain standing. Remain standing. I want to invite our elders to come forward and folks in the prayer ministry to come forward. And we're going to have a time of prayer when we close this service for those of you that just need to receive it. And I imagine in this room, there's a lot of disconnection, distraction, disagreements, difficulty that many of you have experienced with family members, with friends, in this, old, in this church. And yet Jesus Christ is here to bind up the places that have been broken. Maybe your marriage, maybe you come to church holding hands together, but when you go home, you're fighting like cats and dogs. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit to set you free, to bring healing and restoration. And so whatever you came in here with today, whatever divisions and hostility, Jesus is here. And the invitation, very simply, he says, abide in me, 
and I in you. And as you abide with me, you have now the power, the authority, the strength, the wisdom, the grace, the compassion, the forgiveness to do all the things that I've called you to do as my follower. Maybe you came here to church today and you're not even a follower of Jesus. Maybe you came here today, you've never learned how to abide in Jesus because you've never said yes to Jesus. And if you've never said yes to him, he's calling your name right now. In the same way he's called my name, my father's name, my mother's name, my family, he's calling you by name right now. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he's calling you to himself. And so our prayer team will be here for whatever needs you have. If you sense God tugging at your heart, don't walk out of this place. Let them, let them lay their hand on your head as a sign of God's power and authority and presence in your life. And walk out of this place knowing that God is with you. He said, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you even to the end of the age. I am with you. This is a God who abides with us, remains with us, dwells with us. Hi, my name is Michael Davidson, and here's what's going on at Abundant Life. Get ready for the Global Leadership Summit, which takes place on Thursday, August 9th, and Friday, August 10th, right here at ALCF via satellite. This year's theme is Everyone Has Influence, which ties nicely to ALCF's goal of equipping you to positively influence others in your community and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And any place is the right place, whether it's at home, on the job, at school or at church. You have a great opportunity to share your personal testimony, influence others, and help lead them towards a new walk with the Lord. This year's event includes 12 summit faculty from the private, religious, business, and nonprofit sectors. Make plans to join ALCF family along with over 400,000 Christians from more than 135 countries and experience a unique blend of vision, inspiration, and practical skills that you can apply immediately. To sign up, go to alcf.net slash GLS18 and use a special priority code rate for Covenant Partners located in the printed copy of your current newsletter. As you look forward, ALCF has a goal for sending out every Covenant Partner on a mission trip by the end of 2020. So if you're looking to really extend your sphere of influence, join Glenn Poston and Rich Young this summer as they partner with established ministries in both Mexico and Zambia to advance the great work that the Lord is already doing in those areas. For more information about these two unique and life-changing opportunities, go to alcf.net slash global missions. And speaking of unique opportunities, You don't have to wait till Sunday to connect with the ALCF community. Worship night is a midweek gathering to worship the Lord through song, prayer, and a message from Pastor Brian. Please join us for our next worship night on Wednesday, June 6th from 6.15 to 8 p.m. We'll meet up in the Fellowship Hall for an abbreviated Great Family Gathering, followed by worship which begins promptly at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. Remember, please bring a dessert or beverage to share with the ALCF family. And if you're not already part of the ALCF family, we'd love for you to join us at our events. But if you're looking for a church home and want to know more about our history, mission, and core values, sign up for our next Exploring Covenant Partnership event on Sunday, June 10th from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. in the chapel. You can register at alcf.net slash signups or through the ALCF app. Okay, get ready for Shipwrecked, a fun and exciting week of adventure for our 3 through 11-year-olds. Your kids will journey to an uncharted island where they'll learn how they can anchor to the truths that bring them through life's many storms. Our voyage sets sail on the week of June 11th through the 15th here at AOCF from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. each day. To donate, serve, or register, Go to alcf.net slash signups or visit the contributor station after service. Now, if you're like many of our Sunday worshipers, you're probably ready for lunch by the time church ends on Sundays. But on June 24th, we've got you covered. 
After service, take just a few short steps out into the main parking lot and join us for our seasonal food truck fellowship from 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. We'll have live jazz music by Chocolate Rice and food available for purchase from a select group of food trucks offering a variety of delicious food. Come hang out with the entire ALCF community and this fun family event. And finally, make plans to join us during our Hour of Power on Friday, June 29th from 7.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. in the chapel. It promises to be an impactful hour of worship and praising God as we come together to pray for our families, our body of believers, and for our country. Now, these are just some of the upcoming ALCF events and activities. But to stay connected to everything that is ALCF, check out our website, app, bi-weekly emails, newsletter, and social media. And remember, at ALCF, our goal is to make a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Or, as we like to say around here, Abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world.